Hey there, I'm really looking forward to sharing this week's Feel Good Family Food podcast episode with you. In it, I'm going to be talking with my friend Jessica Bryan all about healthy sleep habits for back to school. We're going to talk about setting a schedule, fostering independent sleep, and so much more. I hope that you'll listen in. If you want the show notes for this episode, you can go to cookingwithfullplate.com slash healthy sleep habits. You're going to want to hang on to that because Jessica has an awesome bonus there that can help you figure out the ideal bedtime for your student as they go back to school. Thanks so much for listening in. Hi there, I'm Amy. I'm a mom, a natural food chef, and the host of the Feel Good Family Food Podcast. Just like you, I have more to do in a day than could possibly get done. And kids who say their favorite foods are things like... Gummy bread. Pretzel, of course. Maggie ice cream, yummy. On this podcast, I'm using my 10 years of professional food experience plus real-world nutrition to help real parents more easily feed their families healthy food more often. Stick with me for tips, tricks, and actionable steps to start feeling good about feeding your family. Hey there, I am so excited to be here today with Jessica Bryant from Sleep Happy Consulting. Jessica is what I like to think of as one of my online business friends. Um, If any of you listening have ever started an online business, you know it's like this sort of weird, lonely, nebulous place. And Jessica and I connected in a group and we've continued connecting I am so excited to have her on the podcast today, though, because we are going to talk about healthy sleep habits for back to school. And before we started recording, Jessica and I were catching up, and she said something that just resonated with me, and I think will resonate with you so much, which was that her passion for dealing with sleep is more about helping parents like free up energy and brain space that they spend worrying about their kids and sleep and what they're supposed to be doing and all of those shoulds we hear as parents even more than it's about like the sleep itself. And that is exactly how I feel about food. So while we're not specifically talking about food today here on the Feel Good Family Food Podcast, I think it has a lot of parallels. And of course, part of being a healthy human involves not just the food that you eat, but the sleep that you get, the movement you get, all of those kinds of things. So without further ado, thank you, Jessica, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so excited. So did I paraphrase right what you told me? about um, freeing up brain space for parents? Yes. And with so much time is spent, um, I hear it from my families all the time on, you know, getting down for a nap, you know, or even dreading bedtime or, you know, losing sleep in the middle of the night because someone's waking up depending on the age um, and they don't necessarily need to be. So for sure, as parents, we have lots to worry about and um, lots of, I hate to use the word, but we're guilty for this or guilty for that. And, and I think so much of that energy is wasted. And, and really and truly, my mission is, you know, when you arrive at bedtime, I want that to be comforting for the whole family and a lovely close to the day. In reality, I know that it isn't. <laughs> Some days you need to get bedtime done. But, you know, I don't want it to be something that's dreaded and anxious. And um, women are wasting a lot of um, energy on that, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, exactly. The same could be said for food. The same could be said for how you discipline your kids. And I love that you're really like honing in on helping us with this one piece of the puzzle, because if it's not something, it's something else. Right. And (laughs) I think I've been most surprised now having a two and five-year-old, I sort of thought I was done with the sleep struggles because so often most of my sleep struggles happen when I had infants. Right. And I was going to a sleep consultant and I worked with someone just like you before I knew you. Of course. Um, 
But it doesn't end, does it? Like there's always something when it comes to sleep. And we keep having to sleep and eat. (laughs) It's one of those boundaries. I mean, I I use this example a lot, but we, we teach our kids not to play in the street. You know, we set that safety net, you know, for, for me, it was the curb, you know, and I practice with my young children and, um, I have twins, um, that are 12 and then I have a 16 year old in high school, but when they were little and we live on a busy street, you know, I taught them that boundary, um, and we practice it. It's the same for sleep. We can't expect children to just want to go to sleep if they don't know the boundary for that. And so, like you said, it's something you revisit from time to time and you don't always think about it the same way that you did when they were an infant. And I think a lot of parents who are approaching school age, um, you know, so much of the talk of setting your child up for success is you know, getting the supplies, meeting the teacher, um, showing up for the, you know, in Texas, we call it the kindergarten roundup, you know, so the little walk through school and those kind of things. But how can we set our kids up for success, you know, just in a healthy way, you know, and in ways we don't think about, because if they're exhausted or they're not sleeping well, that affects their attention, their focus, their mood, their interaction with peers, and so many things. A hundred percent. So now I have to ask, what does setting boundaries with sleep look like? Let's start there. Like what, what ought to I be doing as a parent to set those boundaries and set them up for success? Well, I think the framework looks different in every family, but much like you are encouraging families to have a framework for your meals, that may look different for each family, but you're helping families simplify and just start with a basic framework. Like you talked about in your school lunches, you know, the three, um, the three things to consider to set them up. And the biggest one that you said was structure creates freedom, you know, and it's the same concept at bedtime. Um, because what my biggest goal for my toddlers, my preschoolers, my school age children that I work with is, and really even the infants is that they, they are confident in their routine and they move through it predictably. So for young children, we all know that they crave routine and they detect patterns in their lives um, that help them know what's coming next and help them be able to predict. I know how mom's going to respond. Even as infants, you know, they can predict the patterns of their days. And as they get older, you know, there'll be lots of families who say, my child sleeps at Mother's Day out, but doesn't sleep at home. Nap wise. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of the same thing. They, They know that that's the structure, the framework that's set up. So if we take that and translate it into home, you know, in real life, it might not, you might not have a set bedtime every night, but it's in a range, right? Yeah. And do the same things each night and your child sleeps in the same place. And, you know, those are the things of setting that boundary for your, you need healthy sleep. Your body needs rest for your brain to download, for your brain to have that, um, that reboot, you know, whether we're adults or children, we all need rest. And, um, for different ages, they need different amounts. And, you know, there's so much research that talks about, you know, what an, what an exhausted child looks like at school and how that affects their learning. So I just think it's an important piece that we don't always 
think about what a child is doing the first week of kindergarten because yeah. I have many of my friends when our kids were going, they were like, they're coloring a green G. That's all my child yeah. today. <laughs> they colored the letter G green. You know, and I paid, you know, X, Y, Z to get in this special preschool and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's so great. But do you know what the job of the teacher to create those boundaries and that framework and that structure? And it takes time to teach a child. So those first couple weeks of school are processes. I mean, when I was a kindergarten teacher, (laughs) when I finally figured this out on the third year of teaching, we had a process from getting a a drink from the water fountain. You know, you're getting a drink from the water fountain. The person behind you is counting to five. And, um, and then if you're still thirsty, you get, you know, you have to get back in line and have another drink. It was a serious process, but they did it independently. So it's the same thing with sleep. You know, if you can figure out how much sleep your child needs and then set your bedtime routines accordingly and build their confidence in the patterns, then it's going to be, you're going to save yourself brain space because your child is like, all right, it's bedtime, you know, and off they go. One of my favorite things about this age is having a kindergartner who just started myself. I identify with so much of this, but is that he can tell the time. And so he knows his bedtime is 730. And even though sometimes we try and get him to bed a little earlier, and sometimes it's more like eight o'clock, he knows when it's getting to that time, not just by where the sun is in the sky, right? Which is always confusing in Seattle when we got really late, um, sunny nights. But I, I completely agree. And I think I just want to reiterate something you said, which is like, it's a process and these frameworks, they don't work immediately. The same is true of food. And whenever we have a meal where my kids eat only bread or they um, have mac and cheese and that's the only thing they eat that night, whatever that looks like, I remind myself, like, it's not just about right now. It's about creating healthy habits for their whole entire lives, for building good eaters who know how to do a little bit of everything, not who are perfect kale munching kids, right? And I think that's true. Like the same is true for sleep, right? Which is like, it might not look perfect all the time, but you're building the habits so that they know how to confidently and independently do these things, not just now, but five years from now and 10 years from now and as adults as well. Right, exactly. So one question that came up for me as you were talking about things, and I didn't realize you were a kindergarten teacher. So you must have like a real, the insider scoop on this what does an exhausted kid look like? And for the purposes of this call today, let's talk like elementary school kids. Cause I think that's where we're most concerned about their healthy sleep habits. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe high school, we're most concerned about them, but <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about like, what does an exhausted kid look like so that we can work backwards into like, do, are they getting enough sleep? I think, um, it depends for every child. There's going to be that child who's just super active and blowing and going. And he, he might exhibit exhaustion by just becoming less coordinated or falling. Mm. Um, you, some children, I mean, they will do all the very obvious, the yawns, um, the, putting their head down on the floor for a second and then going off to play. Um, a lot of times I think it's harder for school-age kids, but the like seven-mile stare where maybe they're just not blinking as much. Or That's my five-year-old. I'm like, are you there? <laughs> you might be able to see it at the dinner table. You know, maybe you've offered, you know, you're all sitting down and, and just kind of zoning out. Um, I think that's a good one. Um, and then 
the other thing that families always tell me all the time is, oh, but my child's not tired. And so they're almost on the over end of the overtired, mm. overstimulated. And so they almost look like a wild child. You know, they're extremely active and extremely um, over the top. And that can be, I think, a great signal of, is that overtired, overstimulated, and just <laughs> crazy? Yeah. And those children really struggle to switch from that hyperspeed to, to calming their bodies for sleep. So just kind of narrowing that zone. My very limited study of this says that grandmas most have trouble identifying that. Like both of our kids' grandmas are like, see, they're not tired. I'm like, no, yes. no, you don't understand. <laughs> Super. That is exactly it. Um, for sure. Um, so if we're noticing these signs and we probably know as parents, if you have an elementary age kid, you've known your kid long enough to know how they show up when they're tired. Right. The thing I always struggle with. So this is a selfish question is like, how do you start pushing that time forward? And this whole school wake up thing is new to me. Like we need to leave the house at eight, which I know is much later than some people. How do you start pushing it backwards when your kids are used to going to bed at like eight, or 7.30. And I know you have like a cool fun party you do near you. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what this looks like and how to plan that out. Maybe we're too late, but I think we can always make adjustments. Um, I think the best way to start, you know, where at, whenever your school is starting, you know, whether it's early August or mid-September is start waking them up early. Like don't necessarily adjust the bedtime in the beginning, but get them up and get them outside in the sunlight or get them, you know, out and going to Target, you know, early to where they have to be dressed. And, you know, it's more than just kind of getting up and hanging out and playing um, at home. And then so if they were sleeping until like, say, 830 and you need to leave the house at eight. Okay. So maybe your son needs to be up between seven fifteen and seven thirty to be ready to leave at eight, you know, just a guess. Then, you know, start waking him up at that time and then just kind of naturally see where they start um winding down at the end of the night and maybe move it up, you know, 15 minutes each night um, until you feel like it's a sweet spot. Um, and back to your question about how do you know if your child is tired? I think one piece that I left out was how is your child waking in the morning? So if you're going in to get him at eight at seven 30 to get ready for school, are you having to go back multiple times to wake him up or is he waking up naturally on his own ready to go? Or are you waking him up, but then he's very lethargic and it's just hard to get the shoes on and get the teeth brushed and all those things. And that kind of tells you individually for your child, okay, I really need to think about bedtime and we need to, we need to figure out where that sweet spot is. Because I really think, yes, there's different personalities of people who wake up ready to go, um, but there's definitely that personality where they are not a morning person, but they can still wake up rested if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and so that's a way to tailor it for specifically for your child. Okay. You've already helped me because I was doing it backwards. I was thinking like, I'll get them going to bed earlier and then they'll wake up earlier. And it sounds like I should have done the op- like keep the wake up time standard. And I love the idea of getting them outside. Cause it's so funny. I'm I struggle with my own sleep. So I've been doing a lot of reading about sleep hygiene and all these things. And one of the main things that's suggested for folks who have trouble sleeping is to get outside in the sun in the morning because that the sunlight goes into your eyes, like no sunglasses, the sunlight goes into your eyes and it like 
triggers your circadian rhythm, but I didn't think about it with my kids. So I love that we could both benefit (laughs) from getting up and doing that. Yes. Yes. I talk about that a lot for um, time changes, you know, getting out in the evening, getting out in the morning, that sunlight, it super sets those circadian rhythms, those body clocks, things like that. And then children are just happier outside too. So yeah, getting out and getting out there. I think it's so hard. Like this is one of the hardest things about parenting and I'll just share it because I know someone else out there is thinking this, which is like, I spent all this time making my kids decent sleepers. They've never been great sleepers. I really thought the second would be better because I had like earned it from the first, but lots of night wakings, nursing for a long time, like all of these things. And then we got it down and I had like the naps and all these things. And I feel like I'm still clinging to a lot of those habits I had with babies with my kids. So I'm like, don't wake a sleeping baby. But mine's like, don't wake a sleeping five-year-old. So I, I hate to like have to wake him up. And I think that's part of my struggle with this whole, like mm-hmm. get them up in the morning, but I could see how that could be so useful. Mm-hmm. It's just more natural, you know, than kind of saying, okay, tonight we're going to bed at seven instead of eight 30. And then, yeah. and then you're kind of, you've said those words and then you're like, this is not, this is not <laughs> what I planned. Like, and then you have to backtrack and then you don't know where to go. So, um, I think it's just easier to just start with waking them up, you know, um, and then make adjustments. If that's not enough to get them to go to bed early, which most of the time it is then, okay, let's pack in some big gross motor skills at the end of the day, you know, to just mm-hmm. get all of that energy out and, um, sensory experiences so we can then wind down. Um, yes and do some more, you know, mindfulness or, you know, yoga, or, you know, I work with some of my families that really struggle from those super active kids to then slowing their brains and being able to calm their own bodies. Um, and we do intentional play at bedtime. And I find that there's a lot of school age children that the routines are that parents are laying down with them. Um, and, and, and that's fine if that's, that works for your family and it's great, but at some point that starts to become something that's not sustainable, whether you add more children or job changes or travel and things like that. Um, or you'd like to have a babysitter, um, things like that. So, you know, children, no matter what the age, you can set new boundaries for sleep and you Mm -hmm. can improve them to work for your family's goals. Yeah, we do the laying with thing with our five-year-olds, but my husband has done a really good job of like, he sets a timer and it's only for six minutes. So like Mm -hmm. he gets the six minutes and then we leave, but it's such a slippery slope. So I definitely struggle with that. And I appreciate you just putting it out there that like, you can always change it. And it's the same thing I say with food. Like it's never too late to readjust the way that your family relates to food or apparently sleep, right? That kids are super resilient. And especially I love this age because you can like bring them along on the journey a little Mm -hmm. bit more than. And kids (laughs) learn so fast. There's so many families, their first question to me is, is there hope? And I'm like, yes, you know, they learn fast and, and there's ways to help them learn it the fastest, um, most painless way. Setting new boundaries is not always painless, um, but getting, being consistent and setting those routines, um, really does impact their ability to sleep and put themselves back to sleep. And like you said, you bring them along for the journey. That's definitely what I do with my toddlers on up to school age is your job is to calm your body for sleep. My job as your parent is to make sure you sleep healthy. 
And Mm -hmm. that just kind of starts the conversation of, um, our family's not sleeping well and our family's not healthy or we're not feeling like we're healthy. So we're going to work together as a team to make changes. And, and do you know what your job is to be a part of this team? And they hear they have a job and they are on it. (laughs) Yes. This is exactly what I talk about with the division of responsibility and feeding. It's the exact same idea. When you know what your job is and your kids know what their job is, it's so freeing. I'm not in charge of how much they eat. It's not my job. So I put them in charge of that, but they're not choosing what they eat, when they eat, where they eat. That's, That's my job, right? And I think having that clarity, if you think about it at work, right? If you didn't know who was responsible for what, you'd just be stepping all over each other and worrying about the other person. And it's so freeing. So I love that that same concept can apply to sleep. Mm hmm can you tell me again what my job is? <laughs> what my kid's job is? Um, your job, Daddy and I's job, is to make sure that you sleep healthy. I love it. And their job is to calm their body. And their job, depending on their age, um, for my younger kids, I have a sleep rules chart that identifies okay. their jobs with um, words and pictures. And so it's to lay in your bed close your eyes, work at going to sleep, lay quietly, stay in your room until, you know, whatever your family wake time is, whether it's a green light, the sunlight, mom comes in, uh, a bugle sounds, you know, whatever it is. Um, and <laughs> that's that, my life goal now is to have a bugle sound for wake And that time. breaks it down on such a very um, specific level. And then that gives that framework you know, and, and I have families print it out and hang it in their um, child's room, like have the child draw on it, decorate it so they have ownership over their jobs. And then that gives you something to focus on where you're changing and setting new boundaries at bedtime because you have put it on the wall and they have ownership of it. And, you know, maybe it's something small, but your job is to lay in your bed. You know, like the mom I talked to this morning where um, her child is running out after her and he's two and he just moved from a crib to a bed. So, you know, we start small. Yeah. um, I think that's so powerful. And it goes back to this idea that structure creates freedom, right? And what's funny is, as you were saying that, I was thinking the other thing I love about charts for my kids is that then it holds me accountable to sticking Mm -hmm. to them too, because I'm definitely not one of those like structure moms. It's never been my thing. I'm kind of like free flowing. Like I just want to do what I want to do. Um, but kids have, has actually really inspired me to create more structure because we were struggling in our house. This is sort of related to both the things we do we were struggling with game time that like my son wanted all day to play tablet time. And it was like a little bit nebulous and our summer was wishy-washy. And so he got to do it a lot and then he didn't get to do it sometimes. And sometimes it was in the morning and sometimes it was at night and it was just exhausting. And so we decided he could do 30 minutes at five o'clock when dinner is being prepped. That was going to be the framework. And for two weeks, we battled this. Like he wanted to know every minute of every day when it was going to be five o'clock and when he got to do it and all these things. And it was so painful. And now he doesn't ask at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the other day we were at the park at five o'clock and I thought he was going to have a fit because I was like, should we go out to sushi dinner and meet dad? We won't get to do game time. And I was like, you know, where you say something and you're like, hold your breath. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that'd be fun. And I was like, mm-hmm freedom. This structure has created freedom for us. And I love what you shared about the sleep structure, creating freedom as well. Mm -hmm. 
It, it, it builds your child's confidence that you are confident in their ability to. It's the same thing with the food choices, you know. Um, but so, and some of that is so hard for parents to transition from your child as a very tiny infant needing you to do everything and then moving out of that, especially sleep's the first thing you do, you know? Yes. It's a fact that no one can control how another person calms their body to allow sleep to come on. And um, all you can do is create that framework to set them up for success and give them the opportunity to practice that. But but it's freeing because we're all independent in that trust in our child's ability. Just think about their confidence. You know, I think, um, I was, one of my clients is a child therapist and, um, she reached out to me and she said, you've helped me so much with my, um, from eight months to toddler. And I can't tell you how many kids I'm seeing in my practice that are school age with anxiety that have poor sleep routines and, do not have the confidence of falling asleep on their own. Um, and so it translates into other areas of, of their lives. So I think it's just something we don't necessarily see the big picture of sometimes same with the food. Um, and so I think it's important. And one of those, those basic things, um, and I think also that when, as from a kindergarten teacher, you don't realize how, how overwhelming kindergarten can be those first, that first semester. Um, because I mean, they walk into, maybe they brought their lunch. They have their Beto box. Is that how you say it? Bento box. Yeah. Bento um, box. And they walk in the lunchroom, but it's like, there's noises, there's people, there's navigating where to sit. If they don't have a sign seat, who to sit next to, if the kid next to them is spitting on their food or, um, you know, a lot of times the most important thing is they're talking too much, you know, because they, um, they have no clue how to, they're so excited about being at the table and talking to new people that they're distracted from finishing their food. Um, and, you know, and then it's, you know, how to get to the bathroom and how to navigate that or how to move down the hall. And I got in trouble because I wasn't walking right in the hall and I had to do it. So, you know, just so many processes and so many directions and then so much sensory processing for the brain that's overloading that, that may not, that's other things that tire their bodies because they're new. It's new. The universe knew I needed this pep talk today because I have been trying to remind myself when my son gets home from school and he's like, so he's just cranky and he's tired, but I want to spend time with him. And I keep being like, Amy, he just had all this stuff, right? Like you can't underestimate that. And he doesn't have the words for it. And on top of that, we just moved and like all of these things. But I do think it's so important to realize where they're at. And also that you can't control their sleep, but you can create the framework for it. And that is something I'm going to pull out and share from this episode, because I think every parent needs to hear it, that you're not the boss of getting them to sleep. You're the boss of creating the framework that allows them to actually get to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have one last question for you. And then I want you to tell people where they can find you, because I'm sure you have like a million more things that you could share about sleep. <laughs> but um, my question is, how do weekends work? So if we've created this framework and our kids go to bed, let's say in my ideal world, they go to bed at seven and they wake up at seven, right? What happens on the weekend when you want to like stay out a little later, or maybe you don't want them to wake up as early? Is that even a possibility or is that just like a pipe dream and I should wait till they're teenagers? (laughs) Um, 
Great question. I get it all the time. Um, I was that parent who I figured out the easiest way, the easiest structure for my kids. And I kind of stuck with it because it made my job easier, but everybody's not like that. Um, I think you should definitely aim to have a similar schedule. Um, because for example, if your child on a Sunday morning sleeps in till 10, I know not many five-year-olds would do that, but there are some out there. They're not going to have worked up that sleep debt to go to bed at seven 30 the next night. And so if they're up until 10, but then they have to get up for, at 6.30 for school, then you're back to square one. And so um, it's much easier to have a regular wake time every day. That doesn't mean you can't teach different behaviors on the weekend uh, for what's acceptable in your family. Um, and so that they can learn, oh, I can play in my, my room until um, mom and dad get up or you know, at five, I can go into the playroom and I can, the TV is already on the one channel they can watch and I can turn on the TV and my brother and I can, um, watch that until mom and dad get up or, um, you've left a bar or something on the counter that they can access, you know, depending on their age, they could have a snack or they aren't old enough to make their own breakfast and those kind of things so that your mornings can be a little slower, but if they're naturally waking up at seven 30 on Saturday and maybe you'd like to finish your coffee before you have to have a full blown conversation, then, you know, maybe they can have a 30 minute show. Um, are you in my brain, Jessica? That's exactly what I want. I'm like, I'm already up, but can I just get a minute over here? This coffee is still hot. Won't be that way for long. And it's a big privilege for my children to, to be able to turn on the TV. Um, you know, when, when my oldest was five, um, and they could, you know, watch the show. So sure. I mean, you can, you can stay up later and you can adjust it, but just, just test it out and kind of Mm -hmm. have, know what works for your kids, because ideally what I want, especially all my clients to know, but when you work on things for school age kids and you figure out what that right bedtime is for them, um, you know what the perfect world scenario is. You might know that your, your two-year-old needs, you know, 13 and a half hours sleep, whereas your five-year-old, um, needs, you know, 11 to 12. Yeah, And so, you know, as long as you're, you know, you might wake him up at 8.30 on a Saturday and you might go to bed at 8.30, but then he might get up earlier on Sunday. You know, you just kind of play around with it. But if you know what the perfect world schedule is for your kid where they're in a great mood um, and things go well, then you can use that to adapt it to real life. Yes, I love this. And it's actually the perfect segue because there's clearly so much more um, around schedules and noticing your kids and seeing what works for your family and all of that. So where can folks come find more in the way of like resources and help if they're feeling like, whoa, we're way off track and I could use some help adjusting? <laughs> um, you can find me, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Sleep Happy um, and Sleep Happy Consulting. My website is sleephappyconsulting.com. And I am going to give Amy this for her to share in the show notes, if that's okay with you. But I have a, what time should your child go to bed graphic? And it tells you based on their age and the research that tells you their typical sleep range. 
And then what time do they need to get up for school? And then it kind of gives you a bedtime suggestion. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. It was a real pleasure getting to talk with you. This was so helpful to me. So I know there's someone out there who needed this information today. And I think just an important reminder for all of us that structure in parenting can create so much freedom. The same principles that apply to dividing your responsibilities and food can apply to sleep as well. And if you're looking for the information on how exactly to do that, what the right guidelines to set are, hop on over to sleephappyconsulting.com and you can check out all of Jessica's great information.